back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. I am Jess. I am Mikey. And we are joined today by podcaster extraordinaire Adel Rafai. Hey, bud. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you. This I haven't stopped flop sweating the last 45 minutes as we've had technical difficulties, but we're here now. <laughs> Definitely that's all, that's all that matters. <laughs> um, so, Adel, uh, we, people might know you from Hello from the Magic Tavern. And Riddle, which is, I would say, of all the Riddle podcasts, has the lowest number of riddles per mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> I'd agree with you. I think we average 0.2 riddles per per hour. Mm-hmm. But at least you all hate them, so that's... <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's genuinely, Hey Riddle Riddle has my favorite pilot episode, because Adel like, says to his two friends, like, hey, we're going to do a podcast on riddles. And then he gets on mic and he's like, what do you guys think about riddles? And they're like, we fucking hate riddles. <laughs> and now you... it's been going for two years. If you do a podcast about what you hate, you always work a day of your life. Is that is that the new saying? See, I, and I find that it's best to like find out those things on the air. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like to start the program, or start recording, and then find out nobody likes it after you started recording. That seems to make the most sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we we had a we had a meeting, and I did say like, uh, here's my thought, and everyone was like, yes, we're on board. So they technically lied to me, and then later, once we were comfortable, then they were like, hey, we don't like riddles, and it's like, too late too late now. I mean, was that just like, hey, the guy from Hello from the Magic Tavern wants to do a podcast with me, I'm going to say yes, I don't care what oh, it's about? I thought you were doing a podcast about the Riddler. I <laughs> love him. I think he's a great character. I thought you said Sizzler. Oh, I love Sizzler. Such great deals on steaks. Yeah. Do they even have scissors? I heard they're shutting down now, actually. I heard they're fi- actually filing bankruptcy the- after the pandemic. Oh, you mean a place called <laughs> Sizzler didn't last? All right, Sizzler, apparently. I will say growing up, and I-, I guess I grew up all over the place. I moved a bunch. But growing up, constantly, everywhere I went, I would see Sizzlers, Ponderosas, and Brown Derbies. And at be- okay. since I became a grown-up, I have not seen any of those restaurants anywhere. I don't know that I've ever seen a Sizzler. I think I thought it was a fake restaurant. No, Sizzler, they, they were big when I was younger. That one, the the Bulldog place, uh-huh. used to be a Ponderosa. Oh. Sizzler. You know, there's a Golden Corral right by our place, and it is alarmingly packed every day. Ooh. So. I feel like yeah. Golden Corral caters to a certain uh, age set. The, <laughs> the Venn diagram of people who don't care about masks and people who eat at Golden Corral. Yes. The, the, the people who are above 65... Up at four a.m. and uh, and don't care and and feel like uh, this this whole pandemic is fake. A hoax. Yeah, yeah. Big old hoax. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, so speaking of not sure that people like things, I'm totally second guessing. You are like a Twin Peaks fan, right? Because I might have been re like remembering that I knew Arnie was, and I was like, well, Adel's the only one I know. Arnie Arnie's a huge Twin Peaks fan, and I have several friends who are like massively obsessed with it. I. I watched it growing up, and I, as a kid watching it, I, I had my mind cracked open where I was like, what? This is what adult life is, and this is what it means to live in a small town? So I remember I remember watching it. I don't remember a ton of the details, and then as an adult, I've tried to re-watch a lot of it, uh, and we even, for Hey Riddle, we did like a review of the first episode and stuff. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Uh, for our Patreon, but I do, I appreciate it, and I think it's like interesting and I would love to like watch the whole series on drugs, but I don't. I don't retain a ton of the a ton of the show. So even this episode, the, that's the episode how the show is designed. <laughs> the episode that, that might not be your fault. That's fair. Um, the episode y'all had me watch for this for this podcast, I watched. I want to say two hours ago, 
and I maybe retained 5% of what I saw. And a lot of, a lot of it is just feeling like I'm having an out-of-body experience. And I'm like, did I did I actually watch this episode or I just dream up? Uh, <laughs> Your dream you have. A lot of yeah. this episode is bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. it's widely... <laughs> I was going to try to find a better, like, so more you... artistic word than bad, but bad's fine. Um, but how... How old are you? So Mikey was born in 79, and he watched mm-hmm. it on its first airing. Did you watch it, like, when it first came out? Yeah, so I was born in 82, and I just remember watching from, like, behind the couch. My Because my parents were obsessed with it. My parents... It, to, to our family, it was like... Um, and I guess I experienced this as an adult with Lost. Like, Lost, to me, is, like, my formative TV experience. In terms of, like, I had watched a ton of TV before that... But Lost was the first show where I was like, week to week, I have to know what's going on. In between episodes, I'm doing all this research online. I'm going down all these rabbit holes. I'm reading these books they reference. I'm listening to music they reference. Finding Easter eggs, calling these num- fake numbers that <laughs> someone from the Dharma Initiative answers or there's a recording. So that to uh, um, what Lost was for me, Twin Peaks was yeah. for my parents. That was but, that but was I'm, my older sister with Twin Peaks was yeah. that same thing but it was pre-internet yeah. yes. so it was like oh well I bought all the books that were like rushed to production <laughs> and like riddled yeah. with errors because they were just so they weren't expecting this huge hype of a show yeah. Yeah. and so they were like spitting out this content like, way we got faster than they could there was like typos in it and stuff <laughs> yeah but I remember watching from behind the couch. Like, I would just peek from behind the couch and watch while my parents were watching. And my parents were like, yeah, you can watch it. And then there would be, like, these most the, these terrible, gruesome moments and all this weirdness and the sexuality. And my parents would just be like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so so that's <laughs> what I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, Mikey couldn't roll over in bed for, like, five years or something because of We'll talk about that in a me. later episode. Oh, no, it's, it's a later episode. Oh, is it? But, yeah. It, um, it was interesting when you asked me to watch this episode. You said like this is known, this is wildly known as like the worst Twin Peaks episode, which to me is saying something is like the smelliest fart because it's like <laughs> I think all Twin Peaks episodes are bad, sure. but they're just like enjoyably bad. Where it's almost like watching Tommy Wiseau's The Room or something, mm-hmm. where it's like this is meant to be cartoonishly bad but artistic at the same time. Well, it's supposed to be like a soap opera, so that yes, is yes, why yes. everything's a little bit heightened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this was a particularly not great episode to be sure. Uh, Diane Keaton at the same time, the there's some great stuff in it. Yeah, this is this is one of Diane Keaton's. It's not technically her. First, I think she directed like a video or something before this, but it's basically her first foray into. Mm-hmm directing yeah. well diane keaton it, it makes sense that diane keaton partnered w- with twin peaks to direct this episode because diane keaton famously um is known for her great uh choices in uh pairings mm-hmm. woody allen and, and people <laughs> she, yeah absolutely who she's still defending question mark mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah not great but you know what like first wives club was a very important movie so exactly exactly yes <laughs> um okay so we're gonna kick off so at all before I assume you just watched it on Netflix. Yes. Um, so on the discs, which Mikey owns like 17 copies of because we have all of the money in the world and put it all toward Twin Peaks, they have something called the um, the Log Lady intros. So it's the woman who plays the Log Lady and she's performing monologues straight to camera that are supposed to be. It's David Lynch wrote them and mm-hmm. it's him supposed to be supposed to like 
give hints or it's interpretations. Context Ooh. of some sort. Yeah. yeah. I will say Log Lady is by far the best character. Oh, oh of course. Absolutely. Of course. She's the, and gets not enough play. There it's mm-hmm. That was part of it too, is I think it was a chance to bring back this character who didn't get used nearly enough in yeah. the series. Uh, so I'm going to read the intro. So she's like in a room with a fire in her log in like a cardigan. Um, and she says straight to camera the following. A death mask. Is there a reason for a death mask? It's barely a physical resemblance. In death, the muscles so relaxed, the face so without an animating spark. A death mask is almost an intrusion on a beautiful memory. And yet, who could throw away the casting of a loved one? Who would not want to study it longingly as the distance freight train blows its mournful tone? So. Obvi. Yeah. Hmm. Um, pa- powerful. Mikey, Mikey was asking about death masks. So the thing with death masks, they're not used obviously very much anymore, but they were used essentially to capture the memory of a loved one or for like identification mm-hmm. purposes. So they would, they would like make a mask of... a baby shoe. Yeah, kind of. Like um, interestingly, the um, the CPR dummy that everybody uses, that is That's from right. a death mask from a random girl that they found drowned in Paris. Oh, That's no. That's right. I so, remember hearing something about that. Sacre bleu. Yeah. <laughs> so that's some information I have locked and loaded for reasons. Um, boy, oh, boy. We're going to jump into this. There were some real shitty moments in this, huh? But there's, like, so so Keaton came at this with in in a really ambitious way. Okay. Like, she took big swings, and occasionally they land. But then sometimes it's just so over. Like it feels like like a Jersey Shore cartoonist like trying to do Twin Peaks. Oh, do you I know see. what I mean? Like everything is there and then just blown up to this level that's sure. so like there's quirky, weird stuff, but like it doesn't necessarily help the scene. Mm-hmm. But then there are some moments that are quirky and weird or interesting that do. But then they look over the top because it's among a bunch of other things that sure. nothing is straightforward. No single scene in this episode is like, just what it is. we just need to give you this information. Mm-hmm. We'll make it you know interesting or unique or whatever. But like everything is a huge directorial choice made mm-hmm. for every single moment. And my, my thought was um, on script, this is definitely like a high drama soap opera uh, intense episode but the way and I'm going to call her DK from now on the way D- <laughs> Diane Keaton DK1 the way DK directed this is as if she was directing a sitcom or like a Monty Python sketch because it's it's all intense moments but then there's something going on that's comedic in terms of like when the cops walk away in the first couple of minutes there's like the cop uh, <laughs> trying to spell Jaguar and he messes up and then the cop goes to walk away, and there's two cops right behind him, and they walk in unison, and you hear their clomp, clomp, clomp. Yeah. And then there's the cops at the bar, and they all turn in unison. And then there's, like, this, the swinging door that keeps swinging throughout a scene, and the, the laundry that's uh, obscuring someone's face. Like, every moment was, like, Faulty Towers. Uh-huh. She was directing it as if it's Faulty Towers, but the content is, like, intense soap opera, which was such a weird choice. And, and – um, and that is like that's where that's what I'm talking about with like the caricature. Like, yeah. if you were to describe Twin Peaks in a nutshell, that's mm-hmm. it. It's really heavy, serious stuff, but 
deliver it in this silly way. And I think she tried to tap into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But most of the time failed because it was all the time. Yeah. Nothing was straightforward. Because I really liked that that shot of all of the the mailman the mailman at, at the, the bar. bar. I love that. I no, thought that was really all like looking cool up looking. into the corner, and then when the guy calls later, they all turn in unison. I love that. That's a moment that I genuinely love. Yeah, like, and that's what I mean with like swing. Because and none of that was in the script. That was Diane Keaton. Oh. That was a bit like a lot of the directorial stuff in this is her. Choices. Like it yeah. was. This isn't scripted. This and this is written. We should say by, by uh, Harley, Harley Dayton and, and Robert Engels, who wrote a lot of episodes. They have their finger on the pulse. A lot of mm-hmm. some of the best lines of dialogue are Harley Payton's. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do that. Like they wrote this script, but none of this was in there. All these the the whole opening sequence with the giant chess pieces that yeah. the cameras like weaving through. It's just such an. I'm surprised they got the budget to do that. I will. I mean, I will say in all this because in the script it's opening shot of uh, Evelyn Marsh's mansion, establishing shot, and she did this giant chest thing, and then did this long pan up her leg. Like all of that was Diane Keaton, DK's Mm -hmm. choice. (laughs) None of it was in the script. Yeah, and so. Why did why did they give her this like carte blanche to like, oh for this one opening I want to build giant chess pieces so I can run a camera through it for no reason. I will say kind of cool looking, but yeah, I will say um, giving her that script and asking her to direct and then being upset with like the choices is like if I gave Emerald Lagasse a hundred pounds of spoiled meat and I said <laughs> make dinner and then I'm like this tastes gross like I think. <laughs> I think there. I don't think there's a director alive that could have made that episode good or palatable or or um compre- like uh, uh, cohesive. Fair. Like the 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 source material she was working with. I think she had to make choices and be like, yeah. I gotta do, I gotta have these something. shots, or I'm I'm gonna have to add something because otherwise this is just madness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. I and there. Yeah, and this is. In the dredges of season two, where like the the show itself was struggling to find itself mm-hmm. and, and figure out its own identity. There's some true like lo- like cartoonish, literally cartoonish in terms of like Looney Tunes moments, where it's like the two women are polishing that ice cream cone, and it's like, <laughs> and the sound effects. And why? like I, I was watching with with Gemma, and Gemma was like, "What is that squeaking? Surely that's not them polishing the ice cream cone." And I'm like, "It is." No, they they added in, I guess, post production this huge squeak to make it. Mm-hmm. Funny, like there are a lot you of, like, see it, and you see her like you see Norma walk in with that ice cream cone, and then sets it on the floor to wipe it down, like set yeah. it on the counter. Yeah. Why would you kneel down on the floor to clean this? Is that thing? your major criticism? Well, of no, like none of that makes sense. Like it's just to have this weird moment of, and it's for a really, really, really sweet moment where Shelley is coming back to the diner where mm-hmm. we know and love her. Yeah. And yes, her job is still waiting for it. And that should be a really great, sweet moment. And it's but it was overshadowed by a giant plastic ice cream cone. <laughs> and none of that makes sense. Okay, so I'm going to kick off this summary. Um, so Malcolm Sloan and Evelyn Marsh speak to the police about James Hurley pointing the finger at him for the murder of Evelyn's yeah. husband, Jeffrey. Like a half a second after the cops leave the room. 
just full volume. They're like, okay, so our big conspiracy is this. <laughs> like, like, they make no effort to like make sure no other cops are there. Yep. They're just like, let's talk full volume on the stairs yeah. here about this. I do. I have to say, I really do appreciate that bit where the cop doesn't know how to spell Jaguar. Mrs. Marsh hired him to fix the Jaguar. I think that's a legit a good bit because there's so many words that I've like I've only read and never said or like I've only yeah. said and never seen on paper or spelled mm-hmm. so I think that's like a that's like a legit moment in a lot of people's lives of like oh no Jaguar well and the way he like wrote like J-A-G-W w? and kind of looked at the guy like yeah, yeah. Cool. I love he goes W and then he just goes car <laughs> <laughs> There was the, the best, like I've seen variations of that joke before. And one of my favorite ones was, I think it's in the second Hot Shots movie. Yeah. There's like a scrolling text on the bottom wait, of. Wait, yes, wait, Don't bear what? with me. There's a scrolling text that's like setting up the premise of the movie. And it was like, you know, government officials have gathered around and they're with plans to assassin kill the prime minister yeah. or whatever, and like <laughs> you see the text typing out on screen and it's a really funny bit i think it stemmed i think it originated i believe with a guy who used to do the dean martin roasts in the 60s okay. i forget his name he's one of the if you look up his youtube compilation which i'm not giving much help by not knowing his name <laughs> but if you look up his youtube compilation his whole bit was he would act drunk and so he'd come on and be like he'd put any he was he never drank in his life i don't believe but he would act drunk and he'd be like um uh I, you know, I, I, uh, gave my, I gave a kiss to my wife, to my wife, to my girlfriend whatever it is. Like he would, <laughs> so two or three times he'd attempt to say something and then he'd change because he couldn't yeah. get through the line. He'd change it to something yeah, else. But like, yeah. it goes back to, like you said, faulty, t- like just classic silly comedy. Yeah. And it works sometimes yeah. when it's not overwhelming the entire episode. Yes. So that's like a moment that it actually works among the rest of a scene, which is garbage. Because yeah. all of the Evelyn Marsh storyline, the Malcolm Evelyn, all of that storyline is just absolute trash. Foster Brooks? Yes, Foster Brooks. Look up. Got it. Everyone who's listening, um, you, you two, uh, Jess and Mikey, we'll look, up, look up Foster Brooks like a YouTube compilation. It is legit laugh out loud funny content. Right. And it holds up? Yeah, It holds up, yes. It's and fantastic. It's not- how racist? Like on a scale of? <laughs> I don't think I don't think there's anything racist. I think um, what's his name? Um, on a scale of zero to Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. The Matador, <laughs> Don, Don Rickles. His stuff is bad. Like his stuff is like woof. But Foster yeah. Brooks is is all like I, I feel like it's all PG. Good to know. Um, yeah, who cares about this plotline? I would say. So let's move on. Well, yeah. What is it? The the Evelyn Marsh bullshit. It's only that one scene, right? Oh, okay. All right. Donna Hayward and James arrive yeah. at Wally's hideout, which is the same. So he's That's hiding from Evelyn, but goes to the bar where he met her and knows she frequents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he, he, James wants to talk to Evelyn again. Oh. Because he still thinks there's a genuine, like, he wants to try to stop her from setting him up. Like, oh. if, if we go to the cops, they won't believe me. But if I go to her and try to get her to oh, stop sure. this, so I think they want to find her. But they, but, but again, great choice by DK here to have this bartender who keeps interrupting. Oh, amazing! It's I like love it. it's, it's, it's she's, so dumb, and I love it. She's channeling her inner Mel Brooks, where it's just like right. He he pops up like, you want anything? 
like overhears everything about the murder and then goes out of frame yes. and then is right next to them like you sure yeah. you don't want anything like it's fantastic yeah, it, like like i expect him to be like holding the boom mic or yeah something in yes the scene. so good so good um so they arrive at wally's hideout the latter insisting his innocence uh donna suggests they stay on the move to avoid the police though james believes evelyn would help him donna calls ed for advice i was really into donna's fringy jacket <laughs> I thought it was a strong look. Yeah. I loved it. I, I just love that she calls Ed. Like, they have oh, yeah. a good relationship enough to be like, who, what? My pseudo maybe boyfriend's uncle is like who I call for help, but Ed's just such a good guy that he's yeah. like, yeah, that's cool. I'll help out. <laughs> Makes sense. Checks out. I love the, yeah. I loved him playing with the tiny umbrella. I was like, <laughs> yes. Every, like, my understanding is the actor who plays James Hurley is a very kind guy. Yeah, he, yeah. Sometimes his rep- his performances are so, like, embarrassingly bad. Yeah. And, and including one scene where he bursts into a room and surprises <laughs> Evelyn. And I made this sound that was like, it, it was wasn't great. a laugh. It wasn't a scream. It was just a like a... It was just this noise of like, why did this happen to me? <laughs> what, what am I doing here? Um, so she calls that for, okay. So back to the um, station house. Bobby Briggs and Shelly Johnson speak to Sheriff Truman and Cooper about an attack by Leo Johnson on the previous night. And this is a good scene. Yeah, I thought it was I fine. Like, I like the chess stuff that she does because that's going to dominate the next storyline mm-hmm. of the next coming episodes. And so she's really trying to put that front and center. Yeah, what I did not like is Cooper walking away mid-conversation to, like, gaze at a yeah. chessboard. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I like Bobby in this. Like, this is classic Bobby that we I miss. This did feel I like miss because he's, he's, he's not screwing around with Ben Horn Civil War crap. Like, this is classic Bobby. This is the Bobby we loved. I feel like out of everyone, the guy who plays Bobby is the worst actor. But he swings really? for the fences. Like, that guy... That guy will make a a meal out of like a sigh. Like he'll make a he'll he'll it'll it'll say sigh in the script and he'll make like a forty five minute meal out of it. See, but I I appreciate. I'd rather have that than James, which is just like maybe if I don't move my face at all, it'll work. Yeah, brooding and just yeah yeah yeah. Um yeah he does yeah he you're absolutely right. You say he swings for the fences and he does so almost every scene. Yeah. I think I'm forgiving because he's extremely handsome <laughs> and I'm like that's fine. Yeah. yeah, we're we're more forgiving of the uh, the mm-hmm. attractive people in life. It's definitely a huge problem with our uh, with our entire country. But anyway, um, Bobby confirms that he and Shelley are having an affair. Hank Jennings shot Leo just weeks prior, uh, and then they yeah, leave. Yeah, I love that. Like that. So that's a good reveal that now the cops know Hank is the one who shot Leo. Which I didn't realize that it was still a secret that Bobby and Shelly were together because they've been together for... Yeah, I mean, it's... People probably know, but not necessarily the police because mm-hmm. that's not their business to know. Mm-hmm. But, like, the fact that there's an open case about who shot Leo and the whole time Bobby just didn't feel like telling anyone. <laughs> like, had, like, no reason to withhold that. It was just mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, but... Yeah, no, what, you're going to bring that up? It wasn't me, it was Hank. I saw him. I was there. It happened like a week and a half ago. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Um, and okay. they're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> We're going to bring Hank down then. They do <laughs> Bobby like, said so. Why do they even bring that 
It doesn't matter. It's not interesting or funny. Okay. Um, Albert Rosenfield arrives Yay. as the couple leaves. This is Mikey's I love Albert. favorite. Um, I the love- bear hug oh, he so and good. Truman give each other. So the, the context of that, I don't know if you remember Adel, but he and Truman used to be at odds. Okay. Um, they would like were really conflicting, and the last time Albert made this frankly absurd speech that Mikey Amazing. loves, Amazing. it's so dumb, and now they're like buddies, like That's best, as, as is illustrated by the massive like dude slap bear hug. I like the big I will, old the, grin on like Truman's uh, face. The minute the minute Miguel Ferreira came through the door, uh, my my face lit up like that uh-huh. that yeah. chunk of that whole scene with Miguel Ferreira. The highlight of the entire episode. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I, I just, I, he's just so winning in a different way than other yeah. characters. Well, to be fair, he is George Clooney's cousin and Rosemary Clooney's mm-hmm. son. What? He's Rosemary Clooney's son. So, so yeah. their whole family has a certain je ne sais quoi. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, I didn't know that. That actually makes but a lot like, more sense. He's, it's, it's weird because he's super charming, but he's an asshole. Yeah, like you're supposed to not like this guy, and he's an asshole in a way that's like that's okay. He <laughs> yeah, usually, I'm all right. He almost exclusively plays like upper brass military or government, yeah. who's like secretly the bad guy. Like that's his oh, whole Robocop. that's his whole meal. Yeah, that's his whole ticket. <laughs> um, he he arrives um, on direct orders from Gordon, who is worried about Coop. He does a grade A impression it's, it's, of David Lynch. <laughs> it was very good. Do you want to take a swing at that, no, Mikey? Okay. Um, with the present danger of Wyndham Earl, he presents a map of where Earl has sent packages containing articles of clothing uh, Caroline, Car- Caroline Earl wore on hers in Win- Wyndham's wedding night. Wow, that was a really hard sentence for me to say. Um, also, we noted the thing that he's like mailing packages to random places. This is mid Unabomber. Like, they're disguised to look like mail like, bombs. Like bombs. Oh, no. Topical. Yeah, so I, that's what I leaned over, and that was my moment. Then was like, when was the Unabomber? Like yeah. I don't. Then I forgot. I remember that the Unabomber spanned like thirty years. Yeah. What did the What did the Una and Unabomber stand for? University. Yeah. Oh, and he went so to Harvard, right? Unibomber, and not Unabomber. No, it was universities and airports or air. So it's U N A, like universities oh. and airplanes or airports. So he or, he only sent packages and bombs to universities and airports. For a while, and okay. then he and then yeah. he really like stretched his range gotcha. toward the end of his career. Um, but yeah, that was where where it came from. Um, so he was like active during yeah. this part. Oh, yeah. He didn't get caught till ninety six. Or he was, was he MIT? He went to MIT yes. or Harvard, so one of those two. MIT? Maybe MIT. Yeah, I should know that. Um, anyway, Tim, Tim Kazarinsky. That was the guy's name. <laughs> he was in Police Academy. Unbelievable that he turned yes, into a bomber. He's the guy with the, the slick black hair and the big glasses. Chuck, the, like nerdy guy. Chuck Brown. Seen, What's I've his never name? Seen Police Sweet Academy. Chuck. I'm so he sorry. was from like SCTV and stuff back in the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> no Ted Kazarinsky yeah. joke gets by me. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, he's sending. But also, he says he's sending them to like major cities. But there's like. It's like Carbondale, Illinois, like, et cetera. Those are major cities when you're in a population of 51,000, like, which also isn't, yeah. It's like Amarillo, the biggest city in the panhandle of Texas, probably. (laughs) I uh, one time spent a night in Amarillo um, because I was driving home from, I was taking Route 66, and (laughs) 
I woke up in the morning, drove from my hotel, I was driving from Amarillo to St. Louis, and as I'm driving, the sun is coming up, and there is the world, the largest cross in the Western Hemisphere is in Amarillo, Texas. Finally. So, and then I turned on the morning radio, and genuinely, I'll remember this for the rest of my life, because it's two people, and they're talking about, like, the Amarillo Zoo, and they're like, we are just so excited, because this weekend, we are getting two monkeys i am so excited about this like that was morning news for amarillo anyway racist probably <laughs> that is outstanding that's that yeah. speaks volumes to texas mentality i think she's like when i was there it was like llamas and a goat and now there's oh it was just outstanding like it felt like somebody was doing a bit to entertain me okay um leo okay so now leo who is Shelly's husband, who was comatose for a while, and then isn't for reasons, um, wakes to Wyndham playing a bamboo flute, and Earl reads off Johnson's crim- criminal record. Is this the part where he gives that flute a handjob? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oof. Oh, yeah. What were they going for, do we think? Here's, this is, this is the biggest thing that I hold against DK here. Her friendship with Woody Allen. Yes. Um, The introduction of Wyndham Earl, like, physically. We hear his name is dropped a few times in in previous episodes. You actually introduced him at the end of the episode prior of, like, hi, I'm Wyndham Earl. And it's – he's still got his his black FBI suit on, Mm -hmm. And it, it's just dirty and a little bit grungy. And he's he looks like one of those like really methodical but creepy psychopath. Mm. Like a guy, a gen, like a genuinely very, very, very smart person who lost his lost mind, mind. A, a little bit but still has all that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he's fucking... Puck from a Midsummer Night's Dream. Like, what is he doing? He's like dancing around in long, long johns and shit. Like, yeah. what did you do to him? Like, that's his introduction in the previous episode is one of, like, it's a genuinely terrifying introduction of like, this is our new big bad. Mm-hmm. And then, it, and then he's dancing around playing a flute. Like, I, I don't like the story he tells about the flute is cool. Remind me of it. Well, he talks about how in in the 1300s or whatever, Japanese samurai or whatever couldn't have weapons, so they learned that bamboo oh. could. Do, so they would make these flutes and then use them as weapons. Like oh, that's interesting. Did you know that in the 13th century in Japan, samurai were stripped of their weaponry, but they discovered that the aged and treated bamboo of their shakuhachi flute made an excellent cudgel. But why, like, he's doing it while he's like... <laughs> I had the like, same... around like Puck. I had the same mental note where I, I like, made a note of, like, he, lo- he looks like he's playing a fawn in the forest, and he literally yeah. sits... He looks like he's naked in, because of the, the color of his, um, his jumper. He literally sits on, like, styrofoam rocks. Like, there's styrofoam boulders set up, like a college production of Miss Overnight's Dream. And he sits and plays the flute. I'm like, this is, he's like playing a little fawn, a little fancy fawn. And he play. it's almost like, it's like a, it's like if a high schooler had to write a report on what a serial killer is. And he's like, yes, he's intense and he, he's over animated and he meows after every line and what else. And it's like, 
nobody does. Like, what are you do? What are we doing here? Like, this sucks. Yeah, yeah. they spent they spent more <laughs> money on production value for the phony Civil War setup than they did oh, for boy, the, oh the rocks boy. in the scene. Yeah, yeah, just hey, awful. Daddy. Sorry, our dog is just staring at us, being a big Ooh. asshole, right, what's, Dottie? What's your dog's name? Dottie? Her name's Dottie Hinson. Ooh. You can see, Mikey, move your head so he can see her picture. See that? Aw, she's a little general. She is. She's very brave. Um, but yeah, how are, uh, how are fries and brisket? brisket? Fries and brisket? Fries and brisket are great. We just moved to a house, so they have like 10 times the space now, and they're just are zooming they around nonstop. Yeah. Zooming around. Yeah, my my friends in Portland just moved to a bigger place, and their dog is like confused and unsettled, and has never been in a yard before. So he keeps staring at them, like, "What are we?" Is this a trick? <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so if you guys hear noises, it's just our dog being uh, a dog. So, um, Leo tries to leave. Earl takes him as a pawn, placing a shock collar on him and feeding him gruel. Any thoughts, Michael? It, it more of the same. It's just so you could have done that in a in in a way that he's still creepy and methodical, mm-hmm. and like it's cartoonish. It's it is. It's it's bad cartoons, and yeah. it and it's and it's a shame because I think Windermere could have been an excellent villain. Yeah. And they just don't do him justice. He was so because bad. Because then he changes again in the next episode. Yeah. Like, yeah. He was so bad that as he was like spooning the gruel, I said like out loud, I'm like, I bet he tastes it and he thinks it's delicious. And seconds later he goes, mmm, as he puts it in his <laughs> mouth. And I'm like, uh, this is, Yum. this is awful. Just yeah. bad. Quite bad. The shock collar wasn't crazy about it. Like, I mean, I, I, the idea of it, I'm fine, but the it's, it was all delivery and I don't blame, um, daddy. I'm forgetting his name now. Um, the guy who plays Winter Merle. Uh, I'm not going to look because I'm going to... It doesn't matter. Okay. We'll um, add in post. I'll, yeah, I'll figure it out. Uh, but, like, I don't think it was any of his choices. I think he did as best he could with direction. But all of, like... Because it's costuming, it's layout, it's, it's you know, shot, shot set up and all that stuff that makes him do these things. And I think he did the best he could with it, but it's brutal. Well, there is a theme we kind of see throughout, especially season two, is that there doesn't appear to be any kind of like show Bible or like agreed upon point that we're all trying to get to. So every writer, every actor who comes in is, or every director rather, is just like, what if he was a kooky Kenneth Welch? <laughs> Kenneth Welch. What if he was a kooky like Looney Tunes villain? Yeah. <laughs> it is thrilling to as someone who used to be like an actor on the scene it would be thrilling to be cast in Twin Peaks and just given such a long leash of like and action do whatever the fuck you want but it's also terrifying of like you do whatever you want and you're like oh my god this is insane they're letting me do this and then they're like cut that's a wrap and you're like wait wait wait, wait. Oh, oh my god no like I'm ruined please let me do another take I was I thought we were just digging around <laughs> they, they talk about in um in John Thorne's book uh, uh, essential wrapped in plastic. They talk about how these were the longest days on set in all of Twin Peaks. Like they would the go ten, tw- no, all of the Diane Keaton. Oh, like she no. was just holding people there. They were like they'd be hitting the ten, twelve hour mark, and she's like, "No, keep going, keep going." Like just so over ambitious with everything, and they were like, "This isn't 
this isn't Hollywood. This is TV. You can't do that. Like <laughs> you need to, you need to start reining things in. And it was just like lack. It was a combination of lack of experience and like over like zealousness. Yeah, exactly. See, see, that makes me hate this episode more. To know that they did like twenty takes per scene, and that's what and that's they ended what up with. Up. That makes me hate this more because it seems like. It seems like they, in my head, I'm like, oh, they probably couldn't afford Diane Keaton for more than 15, 15 minutes per take. So that's why everything sucks so bad. But it's- <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know if it was like multiple takes or if it was just like meticulously setting lights and things that were like, mm. like too much setup for things and like being at, unsure about exactly how you want to mm. do it to the point where they, yeah. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Next scene is oh I actually loved this scene so it's Ed and Norma they're laying mm-hmm. in bed together do you remember much about the Ed and Norma um, situation I don't so they were high school sweethearts and then she ended up marrying Hank Hank who's a monster um, shot Leo we just found out who shot Leo and then so it's always been this like they're the ones who should be together but he's married to Nadine she's married to Hank. So we come back to Shakespeare again with the star-crossed love. Yes, exactly. Dream. So we got Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> what else? What else can we get in? Well, there's also Wizard of Oz later on. Yes. Oh yes. my God. And you were there. And you were there. <laughs> Which is a little bit like like that. I think was a Diane Keaton homage to Lynch, who's a huge Wizard of Oz fan. Like if you watch like Wild at Heart, he does it was straight rough up stuff. It. He does stuff straight out of Wizard of Oz a lot, and I think this was her homage like to that. Tip. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot. Her homage to David Lynch was An referencing another movie that David Lynch likes. Nailed it. <laughs> we Ella, we recently rewatched Lost. Speaking of Lost earlier, and the uh, introduction of of what does his name end up being? Henry. Henry Gale. Henry Gale. I was like, that's from fucking Wizard of Oz, guys. I know this shit. Oh, yeah. I was very, hey, that show doesn't hold up. Lost? Oh, yeah. But at the t- I mean, I again, I still have such a fondness for it in my heart. No, at the yeah. time, genuinely watching the first two seasons of Lost when they came out is one of my favorite, like, television watching experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, it was the first time of, like, binging something. We had it on disc and all yeah. that. Like, that's That's something where it's like, to, to the credit of the writers and and J.J. Abrams and uh, uh, Lindelof and all those guys, there's no finale they could have made that would have satisfied anyone. It's similar to like Sopranos, where like I feel like David Chase did a great job with the Sopranos ending, but he the show was so good that anything there's not a single in all the billions of possibilities there not there's not a single way to end that series where people are like hooray. And I don't yeah. I think I think it's kind of like the opposite with Lost. I think the ending is quite good considering yeah the, the five the, seasons the leading plot holes and yeah, yeah. that's fair <laughs> like, that's fair it's it made me cry the finale made me cry for sure yeah yeah i think the, i think the ending is much better than the show can i make a quick tie-in from lost to twin peaks please is that i think both shows suffered from killing off some of their best characters and it made sense story-wise like you you have to kill um um Leland Palmer, Laura's dad, who was possessed and, and killed her. 
but also he was one of the best parts of this show yeah. and so you like lose Leland Palmer and get Evelyn Marsh instead <laughs> and it's sort of a trade it's down it's a one for one right yeah and in Lost of course by far the best character of the entire series is Paolo and he gets bitten by that <laughs> spider so totally agree with you <laughs> and, like you can't have Paolo without Nikki. It's yeah. just important. Or Arm what's the guy's name who blew up Armf? Armf? Arnie? The, the chemistry teacher? teacher? Yeah. Who blew up? Spoilers on Lost? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Boy, oh boy. Those like, last couple seasons like we're, were like 10 minutes into the episode. <laughs> no, it's fine. Okay. Okay. I just want to talk about Lost, okay? Um Okay, so Ed Hurley, Norma Jennings lay in bed discussing their troubled relationship with each other, particularly regretting the Christmases where they could not be together. Sweet, loved it. Yeah, love these two. It's great. Mm-hmm. Love these two. I traded them in for all the Mondays. Yeah. There's that's a very Harley that's Payton wonderful. line. And uh, then of course, though Nadine talks about how she got disqualified, but also still won second place and got a trophy. So yes. I don't understand that. So Nadine so they're talking they're being like very disqualification to me, but they're being very hopeful. What do I know? This and Nadine, is... who currently thinks she's an 18-year-old girl who also has super strength. Is that a plot point? Because when she came in the door, she ripped off the door, and I was like, I don't know what's going on, but this this is par, this is par for the course right now. She, something happened. Oh, she tried to commit suicide, woke up, thought she was 18 years old, um, and so is now re-enrolled in high school for reasons, um, but also she has super strength. So... <laughs> Do you know, do you guys know the old adage of like, if you put a hundred monkeys in front of a hundred typewriters, they'll write Hamlet in like a hundred years or, or uh, uh, w- uh, whatever that is, um, yeah, Dickens in a hundred years. I feel like if you put one monkey in front of one typewriter for an hour, they could easily write this episode of Twin Peaks. <laughs> and that's probably what happened. <laughs> Genuinely though, because like... <laughs> The thing with Nadine's super strength, it ranges from things like this, that she, like, rips the door off the hinges or whatever. And then at one point early on when she's trying out for cheerleading, you know, um, she flings a human man, like, 30 yards. Outstanding. So, it's unclear if she's, like, Hulk-style yeah. super strength or she just is stronger than she It's It's unclear, but she's still wearing that eye patch. God bless her. Um... Nadine then enters with a trophy for a second place at the wrestling district finals. She got, okay, I actually liked it. She like so the idea is that Nadine is actually married to Ed, who wants to be with Norma. Mm-hmm. And we're unclear who Nadine thinks Ed is to her. Like I don't know if it's her father or like for a while she thought it was her boyfriend, but I think then she that's just thinks he's the guy living with her. Yeah. Like... So she climbs into bed with them, which I love because they are both naked as fuck and she's just like burp, burp, burp. And it's, it's it's a little bit of a nice illustration of ed's love triangle of like yeah he's trapped in the middle of this yeah hey you, you don't remember when you were 18 and you used to hop into bed with your naked parents that's just what 18 year olds do you're so you're so uninformed and you're so innocent at 18 well, I, mean, if I want him to see my wrestling trophy then yeah yeah, yeah that's true <laughs> we ju- have you ever seen the movie uh what was the one we just watched with elizabeth olsen you're gonna make me remember all those names, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Have you ever seen that? No, I've heard of it, uh, but I've never seen it. It's okay, but they have a similar scene where like two people are fucking, and she just like crawls in bed with them, and they're like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "I couldn't sleep." <laughs> nope. Just yeah, I remember being 18 and being like, "Mommy, what's for dinner today?" 
can I have macaroni and animal crackers? I'm graduating this year, off to college. You know, 18. We all have a grasp on what 18 is, and so does David Lynch. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Sorry about your door. <laughs> uh, Nadine enters the desert. Nadine apologizes to Norma for beating up Hank, then starts to leave, but stops and tells the couple that it is fine with her that they're together because she's been seeing Mike Nelson, who is a human teenager. And also one of the hosts of Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> That's right. out of my wheelhouse. Right? I think Mike Nelson was his name. I really want to help you, but... <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I interviewed two of the guys whose name I can't remember, so... Oh, I'm Tom really Servo and Crow. No. Okay. Are those the robots? <laughs> Classic humor. I get it. Boy, I'm cultured. Cooper and Truman question Josie Packard about the murder of Jonathan... Oh, God. Adel, did you happen to see the headline? Oh, was it Asian man killed? Exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> that was important enough to have a second instance because that was revealed in the last episode. Mikey and I yelled at that for 25 minutes last episode, and yeah. then they re-showed it, and we were like, finally. <laughs> if, I, if I got a newspaper that said Asian man killed, I would immediately call that newspaper and just say, don't bother ever delivering this to me again. <laughs> yeah. This is not what news is? Yeah. This is racist in a confusing way. <laughs> And I think there's exclamation points, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, it's like, too. that makes it sound like it's exciting. Like, yeah. can, can you believe it? Versus a somber moment, which is what it should be. No. Yeah. Reanimation guy, what? Um, uh, she will not speak. Okay, so, Al, uh, there's many subplots in season two that are less than ideal. This plot is that Catherine Martell with the red hair had four reasons that I remember, I'm sure, told Josie she has to be her maid. Okay. Which is like a Three's Company subplot. Yeah. Yes. She did that to lure Thomas Eckert so that they can get back at Thomas Eckert, who had her brother, Andrew, killed. If you, if I hadn't watched this episode and you guys were talking to me like this, I'd be like, quit fucking making up plots like just tell me what happened in the episode <laughs> like this is just an improv sketch that we've been doing a fuck with yeah you. yeah and scene <laughs> yes and um she will not speak of her involvement it's Rosie. like it's like someone broke into like the head writer's bedroom at midnight and put a gun to his head and they're like write an episode he's like uh, uh and, and then the mate and then super strength and then this guy thinks oh, he's in the civil this? war a monkey with a typewriter uh, <laughs> s- civil war boy and then uh what else yeah no not great giant chess pieces shot colors cool <laughs> <laughs> um, so is gruel even a real thing or is gruel just what you call something when you don't know what it is? I mean, not to brag, but I was an Oliver in high school, and gruel is definitely a thing. It's a very like, Dickensian... Is it a specific thing, or is it just like no, like, like generic stew? I think gruel is the same as slop, but I think it's like... I think gruel is like Dickensian of like, that's what they used to call it in, in, in the era. I always assume it's oatmeal. Okay. That's based on nothing. I just yeah. feel like I, I, I always hear of it, but I don't know what it is, and I assume I don't it was think just, it's anything. Like, just like a stew with scraps. That's actually more logical than my thing, which was I just thought of a thing that comes in a bowl and was like, oatmeal, I guess. 
Yeah, and I think I think in Oliver they also say like stop trying to make gruel happen. That's Oliver, right? <laughs> I think that's Oliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. But <laughs> it's not. No, you're thinking of the actual Oliver Twist. That's book. right. Mm-hmm. It didn't. Ma- it didn't transcend to the musical. That's right. That's right. Yeah, which is like embarrassing. I don't know that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, Pete Martell, another Michael Gray favorite. Pete Martell arrives with Josie's dry cleaning, which is weird. She's the maid. Why doesn't she get... doesn't matter. Who cares? He hands it over to Cooper to answer the phone. Cooper takes a fiber sample from one of Josie's coats. This is the weird... the, the swinging door scene you were talking about earlier. Which yeah. Is just kooky for the sake of kooky. I mean, but I think it's one of those things that, like, whether it works depends on whether it's, like, kooky for the sake of kooky or, like, oh, this is so Lynchian. It's so, like... There's the duality of it's a dark scene, but a silly thing is happening. Like the fact that it just doesn't really land is quite stupid. It's yeah, like it's it doesn't true. get dark until the end of that scene when he starts plucking the fibers from the coat. Mm. Here's what I th- here's what I think David Lynch does, and he's he's maybe brilliant for it. Is to and I guess this wasn't his choice, but to do stuff like the swinging door, where it's like somebody's having a scene and the swinging door keeps opening and closing, and all these other choices. I think he just does shit, and then people read into it, and they're like, oh, the swinging door represents Cooper's um, uh, oscillation between this and that. And so people just read into it, and they're like, that's brilliant. And he's just like, I don't know. I'm just fucking making choices. Like, <laughs> And I think that's a brilliant – I think that is a brilliant thing to do. Let people let- – But, like, because all of David Lynch in general is so mysterious, yeah, there's reason to believe that that could be the case. Diane Keaton does it, and you're like, Diane Keaton did this? Why? <laughs> weirdo? Annie Hall? Why is this? Like, tell Adel the story about, do you want to elaborate, the David Lynch story? I mean, so there's a pretty famous... It's, story, it's a bit. Yeah, there's a pretty famous interview with David Lynch shortly after he made Eraserhead. And the guy's interviewing him, and he says, so you've described Eraserhead as a dream of dark and disturbing things. Would you like to elaborate on that? No. End of interview. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. It's And so that's always been kind of an ongoing bit of like, that's how David Lynch approaches all of his work is, don't make me, if, if you get this out of it, awesome. If you get that out of it, awesome. Yeah. If you get anything out of it, awesome. If your childhood is ruined, great. I don't care. I put this out there. You can do whatever you want with it. I did my art, and he doesn't care to elaborate on fucking anything. All you have to do is you make wild choices, and then you wear a suit and cough your hair, and people assume you're an auteur. People assume, like, oh, you must be brilliant. And and what you do is you just never open your mouth about it. And so he's, he's brilliant in that regard. Yeah. I mean, it's like he makes giant artistic Warshak tests. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so Josie, etc. Um, Josie answers the phone. Oh, Thomas Ackert is on the phone. I never remember who Thomas Ackert is. Um, you don't either. Yeah, I. He's he's the guy that they were trying to lure back. Who was the one who killed or had Andrew killed in the boating accident or whatever? Okay. He's the guy who's he keeps getting introduced with the. The Ray Ban sunglasses. Oh, on sure, 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 sure. And then he takes him off, and his eyes super bloodshot for some reason. And mm. then the next scene, it's not. There's that that guy. <laughs> Catherine interrupts, and she welcomes Eckhart to Twin Peaks. Oh, I thought she was just doing that as an aside. Was she actually on the phone with him? Because she like picked up a oh, different extension. 
I think I think she just says that aloud okay. soap opera like. I don't we, think he's hearing that. And we get our summaries from TwinPeaks.Fandom.com, and I don't think they're like peer reviewed, so sometimes <laughs> they're wrong. But sometimes the writing is so deeply wild, it really makes the experience worth it. <laughs> Okay, are you ready for some Civil War bullshit? No, this is my least favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> so You didn't like the giant waving Confederate flag? That didn't uh, make you feel uncomfortable? Episode. You don't see it in this one. No, we definitely... You see, the, you see the one drop, but the waving one is from the last episode. But it was still a giant fucking yeah. Confederate oh, yeah. flag. It even it dropped... It, it actually is kind of funny, though, that it drops and splits the two characters. Yeah. I, that's kind of funny. The, the humor you it can seemed, get away with with the Confederate flag is limited. This this whole subplot, it seemed like a set designer or someone in costume and props like went to an estate sale, and they're like, "Ooh, a fake horse and and a Native American outfit and a Civil War uniform." So like, I guess I'll just buy this lot and use it somehow. There is there's a, a brief interview clip in that same. Um, John Thorne book, The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, which is a collection of articles from Wrapped in Plastic, which was an old magazine that was out at the time. Um, But there's an interview with Richard Beamer, who plays Ben Horn, about how Diane Keaton came in. Because this has been going on, this whole him getting lost in the Civil War thing has been going on for four or five episodes. And he's gradually getting deeper and deeper and more immersed. But he was like, it came in and like prior to this episode, it was interesting. It was kind of silly and it was quirky and he was in, uh, he had a Confederate flag, but like, and a jacket, but that's about it. And people were kind of playing along. He's like, and then it turned into a straight up like set decorator, like mm-hmm. the walls are painted. And he's like, why? He kept asking like, why and how is all this at? Where did they get this old, like, mm-hmm. like plantation garb looking like. Where did they get all this? Why did yeah. they get all this? No one would go to these lengths. What is happening here? And it was just like brushed off and dismissed. And it ruins it. Like yeah. the yeah. whole thing was a little bit interesting mm-hmm. up until this episode, which at least is this is the end of it. They yeah. kill it in this episode at least. But all of the, yeah, the giant stuffed animal like that he's riding and the – where does that fucking giant Confederate flag Wait, fall from? You don't have a stuffed donkey in your basement. It's just insane. <laughs> yeah. freak. They could they could easily splice all those scenes. They could splice into like a documentary about Studio Fifty Four, and I'd be like, yeah, that's that's a hundred percent real. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it goes from this like weird and uh, the idea is like he has lost everything, and so he's identifying with General Lee, who also lost everything, and if he writes the award jerk off motion jerk off a somehow. flute motion and, he, and he's playing with like these little like model action yeah. figure type things of like that makes sense he bought this model set and he's animating the war in his own mind yeah. or whatever it's there's, like how there's stuff there's legitimacy to that before it's like you know how rod stewart is really into model trains is that a thing everybody knows yeah <laughs> no i don't know i did not know that it's, it's like that. Like, he's all in his own little fantasy world, and he has these models that he's moving around. And then this episode, it goes from that yeah. to Audrey's cosplay. Like, yeah, like... What's his... What's like, the guy... Really good cosplay. He's like, if they had, like, someone came in with a bonnet because they thought that would help or whatever, like... Or, like, they... 
put on jet and like drew on fake patches or what yeah. like and made it try to like oh because we try to do what we have with what we have they, this stuff has to be like special ordered and right. would have taken months to get there and sh- and she's wearing like a full-on hoop skirt yeah is that what's what what's his like, daughter's name the crazy guy's Audrey. daughter what is it Audrey. 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 Is she, and I don't know how to delicately phrase this, is she fucking her uncle? Because they, they have a scene that's so sexual, and there's a minute where I, like, checked out because I was talking to Gemma, and then I checked back in, and she, like, she was, like, taking something out of his mouth and putting it in her mouth, and I was like, ooh, like, so sensual, and then she's like, I'm, I'm his, she literally says, I'm his daughter, you're his brother, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> one what a terrible piece of dialogue to say like you know when i whenever i speak to my aunt or uncle i always say listen i'm my dad's son and you're his sister like that's that's exactly how families talk but then it was so sensual that i was like clearly they're they're screwing what do you think dr jacoby well letting him out to mingle with the public doesn't seem to help well you have to admit he's kind of fun this way what's the matter with you that's my father your brother can't leave him like this. Oh, Audrey, honey, now there are some advantages to leaving him insane. Well, you met my brother once, and you know every time I see him, yeah. I'm like, hello, Kevin, you're my brother Kevin. Yes, yes. Kevin, who's my brother? Exactly. That's how people talk. This is Michael, my husband. My <laughs> husband named Michael. We married him. I'm married. We're married. <laughs> and, and now Michael we will shake hands. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of the first in, and only as far as instance of sexuality between them. She's just yeah. like a sexually driven character. Yeah, she tries to fuck Cooper for a season yeah. and a half. Mm. But this, yeah, and but also, yeah. who among us wouldn't? Oh yeah. Um, Guilty. Yeah, Audrey's also Mikey's like dream lady. In a way that but makes me feel. She's trying to fuck her uncle. That's not what you said earlier. <laughs> I think what's who's the woman in the sling? What's her name again? Major Amy. Oh my god! You mean the like my platonic ideal of a human woman? What's she's her? So what's her character name? Gorgeous. Her name is Major Amick in real life. But I'm sorry, the character name? Oh, Shelly. Shelly. Shelly is like gaga gagoi, like <laughs> hachi machi. She's, she's still gorgeous. Yeah, too. She and she's big. she's the mom on Riverdale because I remember watching we for for Hayward Riddle Review Crew, which is our Patreon thing. We watched the pilot of Twin Peaks and then the pilot of Riverdale, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the same. Because I I remember saying like Riverdale is so similar to Twin Peaks in so many ways, and then Should I was I like, that? oh, literally the same actress is in both. Is it good? It's I, not. Good. I, like it. I tried. It's it's like not anything. it's not good, but it's like. It's good trash TV in a bad way. I am currently watching Witcher, which is a lot for me to deal with emotionally. So I think I'm at the part of quarantine where I'm willing to watch like garbage that is entertaining. You might like it. It's fun to watch. Four hundred. It's it's a it's a show designed for seventeen year olds. Yeah. So Emotion, emotionally, I'm there. Um, okay, generally, Dr. Jacoby. Uh, has believed that his exposure to the public would help him return to normal, but finds that it does not. Jerry, so this is the uncle, tells Audrey that they should take advantage of Ben's situation for business purposes. Audrey requests Jacoby, quote, brings back Sexual her father. Gross. Gross. Gross Um Yeah, now this is, is this when they 
wrap it up? No, not it's yet. not. We'll talk about it that later. It's her costume is a lot for me to deal with. Her hair extensions are a lot for me to All deal with. It's just too much. Yeah. Um, and the like, it's one thing to bring in all those costumes and such. Like, they somehow painted the entire office to look like landscape. Yeah, it didn't even look like the office anymore. His office. It wasn't anymore. like it was. Oops. It was just ridiculous. Okay, so are you all right? Are you crying? Well, oh, Budweiser belch, huh? <laughs> um. Okay, we're back at Wally's hideout. Donna approaches Evelyn. So Donna came to rescue James. Mm-hmm. And then, question mark. James told her what's happening. Okay. Of, I'm being set up for this, and now she's trying to help protect James. Gotcha. Try to stop her from, stop Evelyn from setting up James. And I believe there's more tiny umbrella play here. <laughs> she literally says, get her a drink with a tiny umbrella. Mm-hmm. Like, she mm-hmm. says those words. <laughs> And because, but like at the same time, they're fucking kids. These are seventeen and eighteen-year-old kids. To them, that probably—that's what drinking is. If it comes with a fucking, mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. Evelyn. Evelyn's an adult. Yeah. Also, why is Evelyn fucking James? She's like my age. Because she's—he's a fucking sap. And sorry, as needed a fucking guy to plan it on. As a huge fan of tiki bars, there's not a bar on earth called Wally's Hideaway that's serving a tiki drink. <laughs> <laughs> You don't go to I, Wally's Hideaway and order a Mai Tai. I'm so sorry, but that's that's just not a thing. <laughs> you, Honestly, the only tiki bar I've been to is in San Francisco, and I very much enjoyed the the experience and the drink, but that drink was like twenty five dollars. So oh yeah, like, tiki drinks. I, think are, I got I got the gist of what we were you're all doing paying, together. You're paying for the atmosphere and the aesthetic for sure. Mm-hmm. There was like a pool. Have you? Ever, there's what? It's in San Francisco, and there's like yeah. a pool there. Yeah, that's the um. Oh boy, I want to say it's the. Bonk, uh, Tonga room, but yeah, they have Tonga they have a they have a pool. It rains from the ceiling into the pool, and there's a band on a boat that plays um, covers. It's fantastic. Oh, I didn't see a band. I think I was there on like a Tuesday That's night the way though. Three dots and a dash is uh, three dots and a dash is good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Never been there. I tend to not go to bars that people have heard of because I don't like crowds. Yeah. The the best is Holakahiki's, the best tiki bar that I've ever been to. It's it's right outside Chicago, like twenty minutes outside Chicago, and it's like it's like sixties vibe in terms of like thatch and very um very like classic and and kind of uh, corny in the best way. Drinks are super cheap. There's nobody there, so Holakahiki's the way to go for sure. Where which direction is twenty minutes outside? Uh, west. Oh, that's for us. We're in Aurora. Okay. So, pretty. Hey, where did, I'm not gonna ask you on the podcast. I was gonna. Right. <laughs> I was gonna where did I move to? You're a no. I'm not gonna ask. Can you, you give us your address <laughs> and phone number on the air, please? Thank of you. course, one two three Wildlife Avenue. Oh, Wildlife Avenue. That's a really ritzy street. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um. Okay. Who cares? Albert compares fibers found outside Cooper's. So at the the season one finale, Cooper gets shot. And we still haven't solved that, and also we've all forgotten about it. It, mm-hmm. it came up one other time where he, Albert says, like, you were shot with a Walter PPK, like, some information about it. We found um, traces of, like, Unicoat, like, and then it's just, yeah, it's straight up, you forget about it. Like, it's one of the biggest cliffhangers in a TV show in the history of television, and even, like, Twin Peaks fans who've seen this show a few times, you ask him out of the blue who shot Agent Cooper, 
Who did you, Eugene Cooper? <laughs> is is the most common response. I feel like from what it's the dumbest answer. From what I remember and what I've rewatched, I feel like this whole series you can just fucking call Sylvester Stallone because it's all cliffhanger, baby. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good, Adel. Okay. Um, okay. Albert finds fibers, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Josie's coat presents likelihood of her guilt in Jonathan's murder. Cooper requests Albert say nothing to Harry until they're sure of her guilt. When is the scene when he and Josie are talking behind a window and talking like this close to each other? <laughs> behind a door? Did you notice that? Yes, that's so weird. It's like. Wait, are you talking about Truman and Norma? And, and Josie. Truman right? and Norma. Oh, is it Truman and Norma? That at the double R, and they go behind the door, and they're... And their noses are touching yeah. as they talk. It's like they're That's aware of the camera, and they're like, we have to be in frame for the window, so let's, like, That's touch faces. Exa- yeah. Exactly and, what it is. And, and for no reason. Again, like, it's it just... Art, yeah, Michael. But it's art, Yeah, and that's when he's telling Norma that we know Hank killed or attempted to murder... Leo, and so we're putting him away. Oh, okay. You don't have to worry. Watching okay. this episode is like watching a a high school production of Endgame by Samuel Beckett. It's just, just like it's like I don't think this means what you think it means, and I think or like a junior high production of of like Caucasian chalk circle, where it's like I don't think you twelve year olds are ready for Brecht. Like let's all let's all put down our pa- let's all put down our scripts. And let's maybe do um, let's do something a little a little e- let's do Robin Hood please. Anything goes, anyone? Let's do anything goes. Yes. Oh boy. Um, Harry tells Cooper the murder victim who was Eric Powell. Who's that? Whose surname was that of Carolyn? What the fuck are they talking about, Michael? So the Coopers, the the Kyle MacLachlan brother, who they found dead, mm. um, pointing at the chess piece. They identified that person's name as Eric Powell. Powell is the maiden name of Caroline before she married Earl. And Caroline is a woman who used to date Cooper's partner, and then she married him. She, she married. She was ma- married to Wyndham Earl, and then she witnessed Wyndham Earl commit a crime, and they. She was Cooper was trying to solve that crime, and then Cooper fell in love with Caroline, and then she died in that. And then he got too close to the point where she got killed, and Wyndham Earl blames. Cooper. Cooper. Which honestly, yeah. That's correct. It's it absolutely Cooper's I fault. Mean, you really shouldn't fall in love with the person you're protecting. Mikey, everything everything you just said is like a who committed that crime. Everything yeah. you just said is like a math problem. It's like Cooper leaves <laughs> yes. Philadelphia if Cooper leaves Philadelphia I, at three thirty PM Genuinely <laughs> Every time I explain one of these like storylines, yeah. I stop, my eyes go up to the back of my <laughs> yeah. head like I'm looking for an answer above me and it's this person did this, which is yeah. like that did this to that. You I would exactly right. I would it's rather like algebra. And this is not this is not including this podcast cuz I'm having a great time. Re- recapping Twin Peaks. I would rather take the SAT than recap Twin Peaks. <laughs> cuz it's less work. We're right here. We can see you on video. We we tried to break down in the first season there's the whole thing about like the mill and they're trying to do insurance fraud and they're trying to do and literally 20 minutes at the end of that he and i just sat there like okay so this is the person this is their goal like it genuinely was like it was like one of those like the gnome lives in the yellow house and it's next door to the green house it's exactly like (laughs) that's all logic problems yeah yeah. yes exactly um blah 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 
Okay, Cooper tells Harry about Earl's method of using chess, explaining that whenever he takes a piece from the board, somebody is killed. They decide to employ a local expert at chess. Pete Martell. This is, I love that this guy's playing four games at once, and he checkmates at the exact same time on everyone's board. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's how chess does. And they're all they're all surprised where I'm like, if you're if there's a move where someone can checkmate you, they'll do it and you shouldn't be surprised. If you know anything about chess, you shouldn't be like, wait a minute, what? You should be like, oh, next move I'm gonna be <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely why I'm terrible at chess because like people are like, you have to think seven moves ahead. I'm like, I'm focused on which pieces do what right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was the last move? <laughs> Um, so Double R Diner, Pete wins three concurrent chess games against Toad, Cooper, and Doc Hayward. Who the fuck is Toad? Who cares? Toad's the, the Double R regular. He agrees. Uh, Pete agrees to help out with the investigation. Shelly comes to the diner and asks Norma for her job back. Which, this is, yeah, what we touched on earlier. It's should be a, an incredible scene. Mm-hmm. And is overshadowed by a, by Erky 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 a plastic fucking ice cream cone. It's ridiculous. Which are ridiculous. Are they polishing it? Here's yes. And, 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 and I why, she, why was she taking it in from outside? Did she like have it like specifically? It's the end of the season. What I, the fuck, man. I don't want to be. I don't want to be labeled a pervert. Um, but there was part of me that was Stop like. Start. There was part of me that was like. Are they going for two women down on their knees polishing off an ice cream cone that says eat it all and then the guy comes in standing up behind the counter exactly where the ice cream cone is and stands there for a minute? Like, in a, it, for a minute, I was like, is this supposed to be like a sexual fantasy moment? I mean, I feel like but it's like, supposed the, to be that, but also... The, the most unlikely of characters. For mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I, I think you're right. Like, it's supposed to be sexual, but like, who is the market for that? Exactly. Local perverts. <laughs> or Oregonian perverts. <laughs> They're in Washington. How could you? Um, you have the perverts coming from Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> we all know that. Uh, Harry then speaks privately with Norma, telling her that Hank will be in prison for a long time due to his various... door frame scene. Their noses are touching. I hate, like, I find close talking to be extraordinarily uncomfortable, like when it happens to me in real life. When I see it on films, I'm equally disturbed by it. Like, oh, yeah. I physically was, like, moving away from the TV. <laughs> like, ew, not great. Um, Thomas Eckert arrives at the Blue Pen Lodge, dined with Catherine, discussing his rivalry with Eckert, blah, blah, blah. Um, he reveals that he arranged to have Andrew killed because of his obsession with Josie. Who cares? We're moving on. James returns from the Marsh home asking Evelyn why she had him framed. Oh, in the dramatic fashion. Best scene in this. Like, Evelyn is just standing in a hallway, and all of a sudden a door bursts open. He's like, Why <laughs> did you frame me? <laughs> but, like, delivers it with, like, like, he opens the door dramatically, but then there's still also no emotion on his face. And it's just like, like I genuinely feel like he was behind that door, getting himself amped up, and Mm -hmm. like that's what he came to the Mm -hmm. table with. Pretty great. (laughs) It was, oh boy, and like the transition into that, like every every scene to scene transition in this is like this dramatic music and this weird dissolve. Like what? Like none of this. None. It's. I, I I know a lot of people claim this to be the worst episode of Twin Peaks. And it is. 
I oh. you, there's usually another one that I think is worse. The next one? I think so. But goddamn, upon like real reflection <laughs> of this episode, it's fucking bad. It's quite bad. Um she says that she did it out of money and fear, but says there's also a genuine attraction in James. He's 18, lady. Move on with her life, which appears to be mutual. However, Malcolm anticipate, incap, incapacitates James, planning to kill him, making up a story to go along with and it. And they do a bunch of unnecessary, like, drop slow motion, where, like... Oh, that post-production slow Yeah, like, post-production slow motion, where it's, like, janky. Looks so bad. Yeah, so it looks terrible. And then, and then she falls, and her head's on his lap, but... But then you can see the foot of what I assume is the boom operator in the shot. Like, it's so, like, it's, uh. it's, uh. Okay. All right. Wait, wait, we're getting close to six. Boom so operator. Move, <laughs> move through this. All right. Ben, Audrey, Jerry, Bobby, and Jacoby reenact the surrender at, whoof, here we go, Appomattox. However, in their version of the reenactment, General Grant, played by Jacoby, surrenders. Ben collapses, and when he comes to, yeah. he believes that the Civil War reenactment was a dream. Lame. And you were there, so. and you were there, and you <laughs> were there. Deeply bad. Ugh. And the- very stu- And he's like, why are you dressed like that? And like, yeah. Like, so stupid. Like, it took a, a... Like, this take on the entire Civil War storyline just is what ruins it. it- and I think this is what... Because everyone's always like... Talks about this being one of the worst storylines. And I was like, you know, it's not as bad as I... Re-. And then I see this episode, and I'm like, oh, that's why. Because this episode, this instance of that storyline is... Every in every scene in this episode is awful. I will yeah, say, I-, I want to absolutely kiss whoever the wardrobe designer was for Dr. Jacoby. Because he's wearing... In the one scene, this is maybe... Uh, we maybe already passed this scene. I, we definitely did. But he's wearing is like a pi- pineapple print vest... With like three D glasses, like. <laughs> so the three D glasses are dresses, yeah. Not, yeah, most of the time, like, like he's always yeah weird. And we were joking, we were talking about this, which I like, is that like that tie gets reused from earlier episodes. Oh, that's one great. of my favorite things in television that shows tie? is when people rewear their same clothes instead yeah. of like these sitcoms were like. Why, why does this person have an unlimited supply of clothing no. where yeah. they just like wear something once and then forget about it? They actually like reuse outfits in this, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, Earl puts on his disguise. How did you feel about that mustache that he was wearing? It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. <laughs> terrible. terrible. Yeah, no just good. terrible. Um. Uh, he has Leo transcribe a message to be given to Donna, Shelley, and Andre. And listen, there's a lot of bad acting in this particular episode, no, but I no. I do want to save a moment to talk about how bad an actor Leo is in this episode. Like, Real fucking bad. dead eyes. Real bad. Shark eyes. He is somebody's nephew. Yeah. Yeah, Joanna Ray. If Cast, that... The casting director, I think. He's the right. casting director's nephew if that clears anything up for you oh is it real this is sincere no that's absolutely okay. real oh wow. not a bit um okay malcolm Ooh. tries to convince evelyn to get oh my god i don't care i'm just gonna skip it who gives a fuck <laughs> um cooper looks at a, at a photo of caroline as earl passes behind him delivering a message for audrey to the hotel's front desk dale goes to his room where he finds a death mask of caroline call back oh dramatically engaged with like 
in a way where it's lit up, but then also when he pulls it up, then the, the tape recorder knows to go off at Listen, that particular moment. Yes. Like, that's a pretty elaborate contraption. Yes, but also oh, yeah. it's very spooky. I do wish because there was like movie quotes earlier. I do wish when he picked it up, he was like, "I was just looking for my mask," and then he puts it on. And he turns like zany, and he can like green. Make, he can yeah. make like a and wolf face. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Cameron Diaz shows up for reasons. <laughs> um, Wear a mask, everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's that. thank you. Oh my god, thank you. Michael. Here's what I feel like DK should have made. If it's DK directed, DK approved. Um, I feel like everyone should have worn pantsuits and like summer hats. Everyone should have dressed like Diane Keaton. I saw an amazing tweet that was like, the, for celebrities, the cool thing about wearing a mask is like, nobody knows who you are. And then it shows a picture of Diane Keaton and it's like her regular, like Annie Hall wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. With like an Annie Hall mask. And we're like, well, okay. Un- unmistakable. <laughs> she has a look and we've noticed. Yes. Um, and that is the end of that episode. And landing this plane right at six o'clock, like, you know, forty minutes of technical difficulties didn't happen. Um, Adel, what uh, what are your overall thoughts on this episode? Are you really happy I damned you and asked you to do this dumb podcast? I've, I I want to thank you for for this because one, it makes me it, it it reminds me that I have edibles at home and I need to take an edible and watch more Twin Peaks because like it has to be it has to be thrilling on drugs. So I'm very excited to experience that. Um, and and right to the finale. Yeah. Oh, fuck you up. And it also reminded me that maybe maybe my favorite color of all time and maybe what I'll paint my office in my new home, my favorite color of all time, I think, is Twin Peaks credits green. I think that green they use in the in the opening credits is, yeah. is my uh-huh. favorite color ever. So um, I, I think I'm going to search out Twin Peaks green and see if I can find it and then paint that um, paint something in my house that color. Isn't it like a lime green? It's almost like the, neon or lime or ma- even like, like a like Kermit green. Of, like it's like brown on the inside and green on the tree. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you just trying to make your office into a green screen is my question. I'm trying to make it into a green sc- screen and then I'm also trying to surround myself with as much uh, to remind myself of Twin Peaks as possible. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So I'm going to sure, take sure. my door off the hinges. Clearly I'm going <laughs> to love it. <laughs> We're put an eye patch on Gemma. Put an eye patch on Gemma. Uh, I'm going to stuff brisket and fries, turn him into a horse. What else? It was a what donkey. Else? That's right. Do you guys not know the difference between a horse and a donkey? Because that's very embarrassing for you. Why are you looking at me? What are you saying? You don't know anything either. <laughs> Um, cool. Okay, Adel, thank mm-hmm. you for your time. Thank you for I'm having very me. Very sorry about the technical difficulties. Not at um, all. Where can we find you? Yeah, if you'd like, you can check out hey, my your address and phone number. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at one two three Wild Wildlife Avenue. Of course, we just had two monkeys move in next door, which is so thrilling. Um, <laughs> you can check out my podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern, which is a improvised fantasy podcast. And uh, I also do a podcast called Hey Riddle Riddle, which is me and two friends trying to solve riddles and uh, um, lateral thinking problems and puzzles and doing improv scenes along the way. And I do a podcast with my sister called Siblings Peculaire, uh, pronounced peculaire, spelled peculiar. So check that out as well. Cool. Um, first of all, really quick before we let you go. I, I'm going to have to start saying peculiar because I can say that. Oh, Mikey can't say the word peculiar. Oh, there um, you go. I really genuinely have a problem. I have to like peculiar. Like a toddler. I can't, I can't say it. It's <laughs> like an 18 year old. So I'm going to say peculiar. I like that. That's um, great. Recently on Hello from the Magic Tavern, you had my biggest crush in the entire universe. Arnie Nika? Mr. Jason Manzukis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had. We just had, if you've never listened or if you took a break 
now's a good time to come back because we just had some we just had some of our favorite guests we had yeah jason manzoukas was on and was absolutely stellar and just like a, such a weirdo in the best possible way we had the doughboys on uh we've had yeah we've had a really uh, a lot yeah, of fun guests with good. The, i don't know if i told you this story mikey but adel was supposed to um come to ann's house and he's gonna come on friendly atheist and he was like i'm so sorry i have to dip out and i was like whatever it's fine and it turns out he was hanging out with um rachel bloom oh yeah <laughs> And I was like, that's actually the coolest reason that's anyone's awesome. canceled on yeah, me. My, Usually it's forgot. One of my good friends from high school was on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, but she she's that that show and her she's just phenomenal. So I was like, I can't ditch her. I have to like yeah. I was hang out with this she invited zero? me to hang out yeah, so I'm like I have the to right yeah. Choice. Yeah, yeah. What you should have done is brought all of us along. Yes, I should. <laughs> Yeah. So next time. But yeah, honestly, and I'm realizing now the true tragedy of us rewatching Twin Peaks is that I cannot function on my high. So I've had to be sober every time we watch it. And yeah, I think that could really unlock some dimensions for me. If oh, I yes. Edible before oh, yeah. Um, okay. Edel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me on. Say, hey, I will. Um, good luck with that phone booth that you bought. Christmas oh, yeah. Before. We bought like a 1940s phone booth randomly and we're, we're, we bought it and we're just like oh we'll figure out something to do with it and now we're talking about if you spin around enough you can turn into superman exactly nice. <laughs> um that, i think that was wonder woman right wonder woman who spun uh I, I think it'd be very funny if wonder woman had to change by spinning around in a phone booth and just was like ow 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 <laughs> and someone's like can i use the phone what's going on in there um yeah we're, i think we're gonna like refurbish it and like turn it into maybe like a cat tree um oh, like a little cat hangout white people bullshit huh <laughs> yeah but it, it it was just such a fun thing to buy that we're like we can't we we have the space and we can't pass this up so um oh, we're we're, so d- we're done with money yes yeah expanding your your space is a super fun thing to do yes 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 um okay thank you so much Adel. thank you oh, and you're on twitter yes you can yeah, you can find me on Twitter and uh, on Instagram at Adelrify, spelled A D A L R I F is in Frank A I. I will say that many of our technical difficulties came because I could not spell Refi. I kept doing R A. Oh yeah. So there's like 30 emails in my inbox, like, "Hey, idiot, that's not anybody's email address." Well, it's also my fault because the Arabic uh, pronunciation and the way it's spelled, it is Refi. So it is Adel Rifai is the way my dad pronounces it with his accent. But I, I have Americanized it and gotten lazy and I say Rifai. So you're correct in terms of how I say it is Rifai, but it's actually pronounced Rifai. But I Thank you for finally admitting that I'm correct about your name. <laughs> I've been waiting a long time for that. Okay, Adel, you have a great evening. Thank you, you as well. so much. It's so you. much fun. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'll send you this okay. file. Bye-bye. All right, cool. We will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.